0: Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast with your host, Marcus Kron. We interview experts so you can understand all aspects of real estate investing. Whether you're a passive investor or an experienced syndicator, this podcast can guide you on your journey of building wealth through real estate. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, MarcusCron.com. Hey guys, Marcus Cron here. Welcome to Wealth Builders Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Seth Ferguson, who is a real estate professional that has transitioned from single family real estate into multifamily. He's got a lot of insight into being a Canadian investing into the United States. So there's a lot to learn about cross-border investing. So Seth, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Just going to give you uh, a little bit of an intro and then uh, I'll let you kind of share your background after that. So Seth is recognized as a real estate industry leader with 12 years of high performance experience behind him. He has excelled in building businesses in several branches of real estate, namely real estate sales and real estate investing. Seth is the host of Purchase to Profits, a daily real estate investing podcast. He has been honored to have interviewed some of the world's leading real estate investors. So. Seth, I'll let you share your backstory. And uh, I know I touched on it a little bit, but uh, I know there's a lot more to it. So go for
1: it. It's all not true. <laughs> no, um, yeah, uh, it's always weird when people, when people start reading all that stuff. It, it's like it's such an uncomfortable feeling <laughs> to have somebody talking about you. Um, yeah, so like you said, I've been involved in uh, a couple different aspects of real estate for 12 years. Uh, I currently host a, a real estate cable TV show. Uh, I've got the investing podcast I've been running and uh, I authored a real estate book in 2018, uh, so I'm hoping to add a couple more books uh, to the uh, to the collection. So that, that's what I'm doing right now. Um, like you said, I'm focusing on multifamily, uh, you know, syndications, larger deals. Um, I did have a history in single family homes. We talk about that as well. And uh, yeah, I'm Canadian. Yes, uh, this morning, actually, there was snow outside. Oh, It, really? it was falling. <laughs> so, you know, you're, you're out near Vancouver, so the weather's a little bit different, but uh, yeah. Yeah, so
0: tell us a little bit about where where you're from. I believe it's Toronto area. Could you kind of give a little bit of a background on yeah. where, where exactly you're located?
1: Yeah, d- just about 30 minutes west of Toronto uh, in a place called Milton, Ontario. It was a sleepy town of, you know, 25,000 people. Until about 15 years ago, now it's like 130,000 people. So we've seen some pretty, uh, pretty extensive growth.
0: Right, and going back to that Canadian side of things, with, with the Canadian roots, you kind of had a, I don't know the full story, but I believe you were kind of tightly intertwined with hockey and you went oh, into yeah. refereeing hockey like didn't you almost or were you in the NHL and refereeing could you no, talk a little No more no more?
1: no I I was trying my my goal was to become an NHL referee um a lot of people I worked with uh there's probably about 15 of them now they're full time in the NHL um as professional referees and linesmen um but yeah I I did lots of good hockey you know did some pro work major junior for a long time did a bunch of national championships some international hockey um, so I went down to the States, did that full-time. That was my full-time job to work out in referee hockey. Um, and then I came back, started in real estate because I thought uh, that it would give me some good uh, time flexibility as I chased my uh, hockey dreams.
0: Well, yeah, and, that, and that's actually a perfect segue, but I mean, you went to real estate for that reason because of the flexibility, but I don't want to transition too, too quick yet to the, the real estate. I kind of want to dig into the refereeing side, I think, because yeah. that's pretty cool. I don't really hear that very often. And. I'll I'll make this transition pretty quick here, but like, how did that actually help you? I would imagine that if you're refereeing at that high level, that it's stressful. It puts you under a lot of pressure to make quick decisions and everybody's watching you. They've got their eyes on you. Like, how did that kind of mold you into, you know, into your business career?
1: Well, you have to be a little bit crazy. And, you know, you'll find that as, um, you know, if you're talking with guys who are working at a pretty high level, so let's say major junior, so whether it's the Canadian Hockey League or the tier one in the States or, you know, some pro hockey, um, the guys, the guys that do really well thrive on that pressure. So it's kind of that sick, you know, most people being booed by 10,000 people like turns them off. But you know, if you're that small percentage that actually gets you going and you thrive under that, um, so I, I it's hard to explain, but I, I liked it because it forces you to react, and, and you're basically everything's on the line, and you can either show up or you're screwed. So um, I, I I think I think being involved, what whether it's you know you're playing the sports or officiating it's weird in real estate. Lots of successful people are involved, come from a sports background. Um, that there's a team aspect, even though refereeing is a little bit different than playing, you're still on the ACE now with four guys. Um, you know, there used to be three guys and now there's four, um, and you have to rely on them. So there's teamwork, there's communication. You, you have to, you have to realize person's strengths, weaknesses, uh, do per, like, uh, figure out their personalities, how best to communicate with a certain type of person and and same with communicating with players and coaches. Everybody's got different personalities and especially in sports, you've got a high stress environment, so their emotions are going. So you have to figure out how to cut through the emotions or even just tune them out and and go right for the jugular. But when you're dealing with an irate coach, that sort of thing. So, so many life skills um, and um, you know, there's a lot of, guys who I worked with who ended up uh, getting recruited into policing because it's the same type of skill set.
0: You get such a, a, a mental toughness. And you just mentioned uh, shouting at, at you as a referee. It's actually given me uh, flashbacks of this commercial that I remember seeing. It was a beer commercial or something like that. It was probably like 10 years old now. But it's got this image of a, a football referee, and he's just getting yelled at by the, the coach and just screaming in his face, and he's not reacting at all, and he's just got a straight face, and the commentator is saying, wow, look at that, that composure. He's not even flinching, and then it just goes, does a little bit of a flashback or like pans to another screen, and it shows him in the exact same position with a straight face with his wife just screaming at him at home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but... um Let's talk about that transition into real estate. You were, you know, traveling all around, doing professional refereeing, probably a hectic schedule. But you probably needed some additional income or something like that. And how did that flexibility in real estate kind of help you to, to make that natural transition into full time real estate?
1: Yeah, and, and just to clarify for people listening, like uh, I I went into real estate sales, not investing right off the bat. Um, so I was selling, you know, the residential product. I was basically. Uh, real estate agent. Um, yeah, it, it was, it, it, it was good because like, you know, when you're down in the States, unless you're in the NHL, you're not making great money, right? Like it's, uh, you're, you're doing okay. You're living the dream, but the paycheck doesn't really come until you make it to the top. Same thing when you're playing, like, you know, the guys playing in the East Coast League, you know, they're, they're not making great money. Uh, same with the American League, right? Um, so I, I, I needed, a real job quote unquote uh, to get into and real estate seemed to be a good fit. Um, you know, it, it, whenever you're in a sales environment, the, the potential, the earning potential is there. It's all based on you. And uh, you know, I, I think the one thing sports gives somebody is confidence in yourself um, to be able to go and perform. So, you know, I, you have confidence in yourself. You say, okay, well, this is what I'm going to do. Um, ended up developing a a pretty good client. Like I I was making what most people would consider really good money. Um, I had the house with the waterfall into the pool. I, I had some nice cars, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, so it, it, it was, it was good to me. Um, but I realized that, you know, I, when with commission or what other income, you know, the income comes in, you pay your bills and then it's gone, but there's no portfolio, there's no asset left. Um, There was my house, but there wasn't a portfolio of assets that continued to grow. So that's really what shifted my mentality. And I I figured out, hey, listen, I have to start acquiring other properties and start building something so the money just doesn't go through that uh, revolving door.
0: Did you come to that realization on your own? Just kind of realizing it like, hey, I'm not building anything. Or was it, you know, somebody putting the bug in your ear or, you know, some type of education?
1: No, it wasn't somebody that put the bug in my, ear. like, I just realized that, you know, I, I knew that the more successful people, they all dealt in assets because it, it's, you know, you can either work a hundred hours or you can acquire an asset <laughs> like, and and change the asset and you will get paid far more than working your hundred hours. Um, so once I realized that I needed to start, um, acquiring other properties and building a portfolio, I, I read every single book there is, you know, rich dad, poor dad, which is more kind of the, the general thinking, the theory behind it. Uh, Don Campbell, a Canadian author, uh, he's authored a number of books, uh, same with, uh, Russell, uh, Westcott, who was on my podcast, great guy, um, he authored a book with uh, Don Campbell. So all of those books, you know, eat them up. Those are great for people entering real estate investing. Uh, they lay down the ground rules. It, it's, it's very easy to digest. I, I highly recommend those books. So I just started reading through all of those. I didn't even listen to any podcasts. I didn't really know what podcasts were at the time and, uh, and just started, uh, prepping myself. Like the, the good thing is I knew the product because I was selling it. Um, and I had sold it for such a long time. I think I got my real estate license when I was 23, 22, 23. Um, so, you know, I knew the product really well. It was just now I had to acquire it for myself rather than just sell it to somebody else.
0: Right. And you mentioned a couple big names in the Canadian real estate investment, yeah. world, Don Campbell and, and Russell Westcott. Those are actually both British Columbia guys. Well, Don Campbell lives in the same city as I live in and Russell's probably the half an hour away anyways those guys are are well known in canadian investing might not be as well known for any listeners that are listening outside of canada but uh those are you know very influential people in the investment space for uh, canadians for sure so glad that you mentioned those guys yeah
1: russell russell is the jv jedi so anybody looking (laughs) to do uh partnerships and uh i'll plug my podcast so um i did about an hour and a half interview with uh russell uh when he was in uh, Toronto. So. Take a listen.
0: Yeah, JV Jedi. He's definitely got a lot of passion and, and excitement when he presents, and very knowledgeable guy. So you you had that realization. You you wanted to start acquiring assets. I don't fully know, but you might have started with it in single family. Can you kind of fast forward a little bit into multifamily? How did that happen? How did you do that?
1: Yeah. So it all. Um, my my son was born, um, and you you look like a pretty young guy, so you probably don't have kids.
0: I actually got my, uh, well, funny that you mentioned this. I've got my first on the way. Oh, nice. Due this week.
1: (laughs) Oh, boy. Okay. Total game changer. Total game changer. (laughs) Okay. So I'll I'll give you a little bit of a glimpse into what's going to happen to your life. So at at least for me. So um, I I remember holding my son for the first time. He was very, like he just like popped out and uh, it was like instantaneous, like your life changes in a flash, blink of an eye, everything's different and you feel an absolute need to do more and be better, not for yourself anymore, but for your son. And I found that very powerful because I, you know, before I was like, okay, well, let's start buying properties. Let's do all this stuff. And it was all about me, but it over, like in a, in a flash, it now becomes about somebody else. And that's such a strong push and strong drive. And at that point, I knew that I need to really scale up my investing because I knew that was the best way to uh, you know, build security and, and wealth for, for my family now. Um, so, I, so I started racking my brain. Well, I'd use this, the single family product, but financing gets really tough once you own a couple houses. Um, it, it's hard to bring in other outside capital. It's not conducive to raising large amounts of money. And you know any single, invest, single family investor will tell you they had a financing wall and then they hit a capital wall. Uh, it happens to everybody, um, so I, I needed another type of real estate to take me to those bigger that that bigger scale, and I I I came across multifamily, and then everything just started clicking in my head, and, and that's how I made that transition over.
0: How exactly did you do that? I mean, I actually interviewed Shane Melanson, and he kind of talks about how commercial real estate or multifamily, it's almost like a club and it's kind of elite and it's harder to break in because that's why people initially think, Hey, I have to go to single family and then graduate to to multifamily because they think they need to take those little baby steps to get in. I think you're a big advocate of just saying, Hey, skip the single family, jump into multifamily right away. But how can somebody practically go and do that? And how did you, how did you go and do that?
1: Yeah. Well, I let, let, let's back, let's back up. I'll throw a little tip that I realized from making the mistake. So when I first started acquiring properties, I was acquiring properties because I knew buying real estate was the right thing to do, but I didn't think about where I wanted real estate to take me in let's say 10 years. So I didn't think about okay, well in 10 years I want this. Because if that would if I would have done that, I would have been done I would have realized that single family wasn't the best vehicle for me and my goals to get there. No, I want to control a billion dollars of real estate in in 10 years. That's my goal. I would have to buy a thousand houses for me to hit that goal. Who wants to own a thousand houses? That's crazy. You can't even finance that. So right off the bat, I would have realized that single family homes was not the best vehicle for me. I would have had to find something else that would get me there. Um, And a lot of people, they don't, they don't think about where they want real estate to take them. They just, Think about now. So that's my one piece of advice. Sit down, take a week because you can't just do it in 15 minutes, and really think about what you want your life to look like. You know, uh, you know what's your schedule like because that's going to determine you know how you structure everything. You know, how much free time do you want? Do you actually want to play an active role? Do you want to be a less active role? Maybe you'll transition to passive investing at some point. These are all things you have to think about. And that will guide you towards the best asset. So if I could go back in time, I should have just started in multifamily right off the bat, because that would have led me to my goal a lot better. I, as things turned out, I ended up losing all my single family properties through a very messy separation. And uh, we can go into that with uh, if, if you want, um, because I made a lot of Bad mistakes in terms of how the single family portfolio was set up, um, and uh, yeah, so so that I I, I lost that, and uh, I think you know, do you want to go into that or do you want to skip that? No,
0: it's it's okay. We can we can skip through that. I okay. mean, we want to focus on the positive here and, and yeah. focus on the, the multifamily side of things. So, and like you said, you kind of highlighted an important part there. It's like even to your you know brief little lesson you kind of shared there about hey, it wasn't structured quite properly, or you have a a handful of single family properties and they all got their separate mortgages. And and could you imagine if you, years down the road, when you're looking to pass along some of this wealth to your your son and, okay, son, here's 200 houses, 200 properties, here's 200 mortgages, like all these different things that come along with that, it would just be a, a nightmare for the administrative burden to keep that straight. And that's kind of kind of speaks to the advantages of multifamily because you have one property, but you have 200 units on it potentially. Right. So can you quickly highlight some of the, the major advantages other than kind of what was noted right there for multifamily?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, f- first of all, you mentioned uh, debt and financing. Um It's very different. With multifamily, we have something, well, in in financing, we have recourse and non-recourse loans. And that means a recourse loan is the lender. If you default, if you stop paying, the lender can come after you personally and take all your assets. Um, In commercial real estate, it's very common to have non-recourse loans, which means the lender, you're guaranteeing the loan with the asset, but the lender can't come after you personally. So it's a better way to to really uh, finance or properties because it gives you as an individual security. The lender wants a 200 unit property because the cash flows, they don't care about you. Uh, they want to take your asset. Um, and then also with commercial lending, uh, the, the lender cares about the asset first. Everybody knows when you go to apply for a residential mortgage, so let's say seven units or under, The lender looks at you. So they want to look at your gross debt service ratio, total debt service ratio, your income, because your income has to support the financing for the property. And, you know, we talked about that financing wall. A lot of investors hit that wall because of that. With commercial financing, it changes because the lender is, it's all asset focused. Sure. You come into play. Absolutely. But it's the asset that's at the forefront. Um, so if you're buying a 200 unit property, the lender cares about the cash flow on that property. You know, what's your game plan? What's the business plan to push that value, drive that value, force it. You know, all those things come into play. It's more, it's more like buying a business because we are buying a business. It just had the business happens to be tied. To real estate, uh, so th- those are advantages there. Also, economies of scale, property management costs for a single family home. You're paying ten to twelve percent for a property manager. You know, uh, we- we've got a two hundred and seventy-eight unit deal. We're paying three percent. Um, you know, sa- same thing with on-site. When you have scale, you can have full-time staff on the property. You have full-time maintenance teams. You have full-time, um, you know, property managers on-site to deal with problems. Full-time leasing agents, that sort of thing. Rather than in residential, if you own a duplex, the property manager swings by once a month, does the rent collection, and, and that's it. And you're paying ten to twelve percent. You know the, your, your price per u- the the expenses, the ratio between how many units you have, units you have and the expenses uh, you're paying, uh, the cost per unit for expenses goes down drastically. You've got instead of a hundred different roofs or roofs, if you're in the States, um, you know, with single families, you're dealing with maybe six in a larger multifamily property. So all these things are, you know, plus the structuring, uh, once you get into larger commercial real estate, uh, you, you syndication is common. Um, dealing with funds is a lot more common and it's, it's a better vehicle for somebody to passively invest in Uh, Because they're afforded protections under the law and it's also better for you as the operator to bring in that money It's a better structure. Uh, You know that there's I'm not sure if you want to get into all all the all that stuff
0: And then we could probably go on and make this whole show specifically about advantages of multifamily and and the benefits of that and And you touched on probably just the surface of, of some of the advantages there and some great great advantages for multifamily But I want to talk Next, about something unique about what you're doing, and I'm a Canadian myself. But what you're doing is you're actually investing cross-border into the United States. Could you talk about some of the complexities that might be involved with doing
1: that? Sure. Yeah, I think foremost, somebody has to be aware of the uh, the tax code and uh, and how everything flows through from the IRS to the CRA. Um, obviously, IRS Internal Revenue Service, CRA Canada Revenue Agency. Um, Because if you're looking at US real estate on the internet, a lot of the education is geared towards American citizens. So everybody tells you, oh, well, an LLC is the right structure. Everybody's heard of an LLC. Well, that's great, unless you're bringing the money back to Canada, because CRA does not recognize an LLC. So basically what happens at that point, because CRA doesn't recognize it, it doesn't flow through. So you're getting, you're paying double tax. You're getting banged for tax by the IRS and you're getting banged for tax by CRA. Nobody, nobody likes paying tax, but nobody likes paying more tax than they should. Um, so w- whenever you're investing in the U.S. as a Canadian, you have to really make sure that you're investing uh, through an LP, a limited partnership, because CRA recognizes that and allows you to flow that through. So you're not getting double banked. Um, I'm not a cross-border accountant. I'm just letting people know through my own experience, um, structure is so important. And I've seen people get hurt because they go online, they, they take a course, but it's not, it's not geared towards cross-border investing. So they get structured the wrong way and then they end up paying a ridiculous amount of tax. Yeah because
0: essentially there's a, a tax treaty between Canada and the US so if it flows through that limited partnership you get taxed twice but then you get a, a rebate or whatever yeah. it's called on your taxes is is that kind of how that works
1: Yeah so so you get credited for the tax you've already paid right um so it so to, just make sure if you're looking to invest cross border sit down with a very experienced cross border accountant uh, it probably won't be the person who does your personal taxes because this is a very specialized uh, field. You you really need to sit down with somebody who specializes in real estate investing, not just anything. Real estate investing cross border, um, and you know we we, we get uh, phone calls and inquiries from all sorts of different countries, and we always make sure we refer those people to tax specialists that. Specialize in you know uh u k to u s real estate investing or uh, israeli to u s real estate investing uh, because there are nuances um, in that and you have to really know uh, exactly what's going on
0: you probably have like a team of tax accountants that specialize in different countries because it sounds like you're working with not just canada to u s but if there's somebody coming in from the u k or in Europe or wherever it is but you're probably going to have to have a different tax accountant for each particular investor circumstance if they're coming in from a different country. Have,
1: have you seen the tax code? Do you know how thick it is. If you print it out, yeah. you can't specialize yeah. in that for multiple different countries. So, right, yeah, like like if if somebody um, gets hold of me from let's say the UK, um, I, I don't have a guy in the UK that I, spe- I specialize with. So we, we just suggest, hey, you know, you need to find yourself somebody that you trust um, because it, I, you have to be very careful because it's like doing home inspections in a residential transaction. Like you can't say you have to use this home inspector or you have to use this accountant because if, if they end up giving bad advice or something like that, that reflects poorly on you. Uh, so the, the customer always has to be comfortable with the person um, you know that they're meeting with. I always suggest people speak with a number of different accountants or, you know, other professionals just so they, they find that good fit for them. Right.
0: So, are you focusing primarily on Canadian investors investing into U.S. deals, or are you also bringing in U.S. investors as well? Can you kind of touch it, on how it, that works?
1: It, it's it's split. Um, you know, there are some things in in the hopper right now that may come to fruition um here in Canada that I'm not ready to talk about yet. So there may be a Canadian option for people pretty soon. Um, but but right now my focus is, you know, a lot of Canadians see the value of investing in a market like the US. Uh the product that we're that we're acquiring is different than the product available here. Uh the size of the market is a lot different. Um you know, the laws are a lot different too. You know, you take, you know, rent control and let's say Ontario, um, which is, I, I have my own opinions about rent control. Um, but you know, Ontario is very tough to force appreciation, to add the value on an asset like that, um, in a realistic time frame to get a good return for your investors, because we've got the government basically dipping their hands in and telling you what you can and can't do. Um, whereas you go down to, let's say a market like Texas, um, it's like freedom country. It's like uh, Alberta, uh, where you can force up value and the landlord, the owner has a lot more rights. Um, so I, I went off on a tangent. Um, I forget what I was, I was supposed to be talking about. Yeah, no worries. So it,
0: it sounded like you, you mentioned you're doing both. You kind of have a blend. I think that's where you left yeah. off there of, of investors from Canada investing cross-border to the US, but also some UN, US investors also investing into that same deal. Does that raise any? And, and that's accurate, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So does that raise any complications just from the managerial aspect of obviously different countries and even have different securities regulations, but also individual provinces and States within us and Canada have different securities commissions and how they all regulate things. So how, how do you manage that complexity? Yeah,
1: it's, it's actually not too bad because, uh, you know, as long as your documents are drafted the right way, so you always want to find a really good lawyer who has experience in, in syndications or creating funds, whichever one you're, you're doing. Um, and, and you mentioned the securities laws. Um, they're actually very similar um, between both countries. Um, so, you know, we, we deal with accredited investors. So, so somebody who owns, um, who, who makes $300,000 a year, or, um, or sorry, Two hundred thousand dollars a year, or is a couple three hundred thousand dollars a year, or has a million dollars in assets, uh, not including their principal residence. That that's an accredited investor on both sides of the border. That's who we stick with uh, because the they're more sophisticated with their money. Um, they understand how money works a little bit better. Like I don't want to take somebody's last twenty um, thousand dollars. That's not what I'm about. I, I want to. I, I want to help somebody invest their money in an amazing vehicle, get the tax benefits, get a great return on the money. That, that's very stable. That's going to weather uh, recessions because it's proven, um, you know, if you look at historical data, the, you know, rule number one of investing is don't lose your initial capital. Uh, and that's why multifamily is such a great vehicle for that because it's so stable in downturns. You get the tax benefits, all that sort of stuff. So those are the people I want to work with. Um, and yeah, accredited investors, both sides of the border, it's basically the same thing.
0: Yeah, I, I know I know that as well, that those accredited investors' status or criteria are exactly the same for Canada and the US. Obviously, there's probably a difference with the currency exchange rate and all that, but um, for how they qualify. But you know what, that just came to my mind now. That's another topic right there is the um, currency exchange yeah. and how that might look into a particular deal where hey like that's another layer that you have to deal with when you're structuring a deal. If a Canadian comes in and, and the dollar buy at a you know high dollar and then it drops like it, it kind of like can shift how your projected returns might look. So how do you kind of deal with that and how do you navigate the currency fluctuations?
1: Yeah, no, very good question. And that does sometimes come up. Uh, what I find a lot of times is um, when you're dealing with accredited investors, they've got their U S account and they've got their Canadian accounts. So they're not really uh, switching it back and forth very often. Um, you know, yes, if you're a Canadian and you're converting to U S dollars, um, there is a difference in the exchange right now. And historically there has been a difference. Um, but keep in mind though, like your returns are going to be in U S dollars as well. So the you get, you know, it's like a balancing act. Um, Also, you have to think about the long-term life of the property. You know, is the, because there's no rent control, because of the large markets we're dealing in and the type of product we're we're working in um, over that's, let's say the five to seven year hold horizon until, um, until, you know, we divest ourselves of the property. Does that meet your criteria as an investor? Even with the exchange rate, And when we sell, you're going, you may exchange it back to Canadian. Does that fit your goals? Does that meet your criteria? If the, if the answer is yes, do the deal. If it doesn't fit, I don't want to force you as an investor to invest with me. That's not what I'm about. Um, But yeah, typically when you're dealing with accredited investors, you're dealing with, you know, a a more sophisticated type of person and they understand uh, the current, the currency aspect and most of them actually have a separate U.S. account.
0: Right. So you're typically, like you said, they already have their own accountant that they're they're dealing with. So you say, well, you, you probably have to educate them to a particular level on how your deal would work. Uh, but at a point in time, you just have to defer to that expertise of their accountant. And you've kind of stressed the importance now a handful of times of like, okay, rely on that accountant, rely on that attorney or their lawyer. Could you talk about like the importance of that and how you kind of built your team or the right group of of lawyers or accountants to kind of help you make that transition to actually investing in the states. How did you find them? How did you vet them and make sure that they're going to do exactly what needs to be done?
1: Yeah. Well I, I think that number one and anything to do with real estate is ask for referrals. Um, you know, if if you see somebody very successful um, who's doing a really good job, ask them who they use. You know, if somebody's done, let's say, fifty deals, and you know all their deals are really well put together and, and all that stuff, you know, you want to find out who's man, who's who their property manager is. You want to find out uh, who their lawyer is, who's who's doing all the paperwork, who their accountant is, because you know the proof is in the pudding. Um, you know, so you want to ask, you know, who they're doing, who, who they're working with. Um, do you, doing a Google search and picking up the phone isn't probably the best way to do it. Um, same thing with finding a real estate broker. Find somebody who's had a great experience. Find ask them who they used. Uh, you just don't go to Google and find yourself a real estate broker. It doesn't work that way. So yeah, my my piece of advice: ask somebody. Just ask. And, and you know, you alluded to real estate investing being that small, tight knit community. Um, the majority of people are very happy to help out. You know, if I pick up the phone, most people are happy to speak with me and, you know, walk through something or talk about, you know, get their take. I give my take. Um, everybody's pretty welcoming. So if you ask them, hey, who's your lawyer? You know, they'll, they'll usually tell you and give you an honest opinion.
0: Yeah, no, and I totally agree with that. Like alluding to that part of it being kind of a club and, and people in it. But once you you kind of get, and you break in you start asking questions and you you kind of like hang around the right people like you'll find that like people are very receptive to kind of sharing and being open with their knowledge and their connections and it is really when you look at it quite a bit of a community right like that's how I would really describe it how how people are you know looking out for the best interest of others and although it is competitive not everyone's going to give away everything just because you ask, right? It's but you'll you'll find that people are quite receptive to you know hopping on a call or you know giving some advice or you know having a connection, right? Like even why we're connecting on a call here, like it just kind of reached out to you and, and you're open to it, right? So it which is really cool. Have you found that there's any particular hurdles for your investors where you know you present them a deal and kind of say, Hey, we're investing in the States? Where they kind of said, "Well, this is kind of risky because I'm going to the states and because of these factors and because it's far away." And like, what were the main objections that you typically have to deal with for an investor looking to come in in a deal in the U.S.?
1: Yeah, well, I, I've actually found the majority of conversations I have are educational by nature because the people I'm speaking with have never considered, you know, large commercial real estate as an investment vehicle, and I, I think this. You know, we could go off on on a long tangent. I'll I'll try to avoid it. But, you know, as Canadians, we're all told, you know, you invest in your RSP, which is usually a mutual fund sold to you by the bank. And that's what you do. Um, most people don't know that there is so much opportunity out there where your money is going to work so much harder. Plus, you get all these tax benefits, um, but people aren't educated. So when I'm sitting down with somebody, they're like, hey, you know, Seth, I, I've heard you're doing this apartment stuff. You know, what is it all about? I have those conversations and it's, it's great. Cause their, their eyes start opening up and, you know, I had one guy um, who very successful business, like he owned, like, I think six or seven different businesses, very successful. He's like, why didn't somebody tell me about this 20 years ago? Um, they, they just don't know. So I, I think that's the major hurdle is education. Um, so, you know, the, the first time bringing real estate into somebody's lives, you know, they're not going to invest right away. And I, no, I don't want them to. I, I want them to learn more about it, get educated, and, and then when they're ready, when, when they when they see the benefits and they've worked it through, then they're ready to invest. So I would say number one, that is uh, the biggest challenge.
0: Okay. So what is the, another challenge? Well, going into the states, you're looking to get financing, you're looking to get a loan. what I've kind of heard is that you basically you could have the biggest balance sheet and be the highest net worth person in Canada but the banks, when they look at you across the border in the States, they're gonna say, well, you don't have any credit down the States. You don't own any properties down here. And you're basically starting from scratch. So could you speak into that? Like how, that might be a little bit off, but could you kind of tell the audience about how one would go about getting financing in the States if they're coming cross border from Canada?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, but when you're dealing in commercial property, you know, nobody does it on their own. it's not a one-man show. Uh, for, for instance, uh, there's so many different aspects to doing a deal, a, a large multifamily deal. You need somebody to underwrite the deal. You need somebody to raise the capital. You need somebody, uh, if, you're, if it's a heavy lift, you need somebody with construction management background. Then you need your property manager, all that sort of stuff. One person cannot be an expert in all those areas. Very typically, you have a, an underwriter who's very good at what they do, But the skill set, the personality needed to sit down and go through all the spreadsheets is not the person that's going to raise all the capital needed for the deal. So you need to have a team in place to go out and acquire these deals. Um, So, so if you're a Canadian, partner with two guys down in the states or girls like doing the deals, and then form a company and then take down a deal. Um, You need boots on the ground. You need somebody close by. So if you're looking in, let's say, a market like I don't know, but let's say Dallas, Texas, Dallas, Fort Worth. You probably want somebody within a couple hours of uh, DFW who's able to drive to the asset and check it out rather than having you jump on a plane from Vancouver and fly down to Texas once a week, right? So, so it's all about partnerships. What are you bringing to the equation? Well, maybe you're really good at raising capital. That's great. Well, maybe your partner down in, in Texas is great at property management and, uh, you know, construction management. So they're there all the time, making sure the renovations are going really well, and you're raising the capital out in Vancouver, right? And, and you get, and, and that overcomes the objection of the lender, because now you have seasoned professionals on both sides of the border.
0: Right. And typically, the lender is going to look for um, what's going to be called the KP or the key principle, right? Uh, yes. To show somebody that actually has you know what, you just mentioned there somebody with boots on the ground, somebody that's done this before. Whereas they're not looking for somebody to come in rolling into the bank looking for a loan saying, Hey, I'm going to buy this $20 million asset. Well, they ask you, What have you done before? Have you done this before? Nope, never, never even bought a house. Well, they're not going to take you very seriously unless you kind of have some background in it. And that's where it comes into bringing on that key principle somebody with experience, um, you know, with the big balance sheet that can act as that key principle in that loan guarantor. Um, so yeah, you definitely hit, hit on all those points there. Um,
1: yeah. And, uh, since we're in Canada, I can use the analogy of like, you're not going to get to the Stanley cup finals with a team yeah, full of rookies, yeah. right? Like, like you need your, your veteran core there to kind of take the rookies, uh, you know, through the playoffs.
0: Yeah, totally. Um, so I want you to briefly share like what markets you're, you're currently focusing on. Obviously, you've kind of explained why you like US real estate and, and why it's attractive. So what are a few of the markets or you know, one market that you're kind of focusing on and really like right now?
1: Yeah, so, so right now we've got deal in Orlando, Florida, um, you know Dallas, Fort Worth, uh, Houston. Uh, you know, th- those are. It- it's really interesting when you look at the uh, the uh, interstate migration. Um, all the population is leaving California and New York, the East Coast, and because all the jobs are being now created in that Southern Belt, um, so we're seeing a lot of growth there. Um, and you know, we look for key market drivers um, in the markets we're investing in. Uh, plus, right now we're able to uh, you know force that appreciation in Texas. Rent control is never going to happen. Uh, Florida, they're, they're looking at it. So. You know, we, we have to be aware of the political side too. Uh, you know, California last year came came out with uh, their version of rent control, which is, um, you know, a little has less teeth than the Ontario rent control, but it's still rent control. So um, those are the markets we like right now. But like I said, I, I know people who are crushing it, doing Midwestern state investing, different different type of asset, you know, different, strategy you have. So, you know, you just have to figure out what type of markets you're looking in and you know, what's being successful. What what steps do I have to take with my property to succeed in my area? Because as you know, real estate, it's all local. It's hyper-local. Every market's unique. So you really have to get to know your market. Yeah. And
0: that's a great point being hyper-local. And that brings up another challenge of being so far away. I know you've already talked about it from having boots in the ground and, and people that know and understand the area, but you know, how are you personally kind of keeping up to date with like local trends and, and, and the things that are going to really move in your particular submarket or even understanding the neighborhood of a particular investment property you're looking at, like how, how do you do that on a practical basis that our yeah. uh, listeners might be able learn, to learn from? Yeah.
1: Well, you know, with the Orlando deal, I'm, I'm like one of seven people um, involved in it. Right. So, you know, th- there are, People in the states uh, on that uh, in that market. Also, like it, it's so easy now with the internet uh, to keep up to date with what's going on. There are so many providers of uh, economic reports. Uh, not only does the government publish. Uh, timely data based on all the different submarkets and all that. You've got you know Pricewaterhouse, uh, Coopers and Lybrand, PwC. Uh, you know they publish excellent reports. Uh, CBRE, Marcus and Millichap. They do a great webinar once a year in December uh, that looks uh, at all the trends of the market. Uh, you know I, I could go on with, with the list of all the all the report providers. It's so easy now to get your hands on data that you can use. Uh, Yardi Matrix is a really good one. Um, the data is there. You don't like, it's so easy. So for somebody to say, oh, I, I don't know too much about my market. Well, that's an excuse because it's all at your fingertips. Yeah. And that's actually a great
0: point. I mean, at, at some points it can almost seem like it's too much data. It's almost overwhelming at points where you're like, well, it's hard to digest and, and take it all in. But all those reports that you referenced are great reports and want to highlight them again, because our listeners can really you know, dig into a market and, and learn. So you mentioned the PWC report, uh, CBRE has a, I think it's called the biannual cap rate survey or something like that. And then Marcus and Millichap has, um, I think like a, a top list of potential markets across the States in North America. So those are great resources to check out. So I know you mentioned your goal there about, I think you mentioned a billion dollars. So this is kind of the last topic I want to touch on here, but and what did you say? Five years, 10 years, or when no, was no, that? No, no, that's
1: my, that's my 10 year goal. 10 year goal.
0: Okay. So I was going to say, what do you, where do you see yourself in 10 years? you already, I've you've already kind of determined that now. So what, what steps or how, how do you anticipate moving forward to get there?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I've seen from people who are, you know, a couple miles ahead of me on the racetrack right now that uh, really it's like a snowball effect, right? Like you, you have to get your first number of deals under your belt and then it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you start doing bigger and bigger deals. Like you might start out and do like a, uh, let's say a $10 million deal. And then your next one's a 31. And then sooner or later, like you're doing hundred million dollar deals and then it just snowballs even quicker. So for me right now, it's all about getting to that critical mass and, and just building that track re- track record of having my, my hand in deals. And at that point, I, you know, I've seen it with other people. It just, out of it almost happens overnight but it's taken a whole lot of work to get there um you know where things just start to shift and then you know the the inflow of money it becomes a lot easier because you have that track record now you've built your reputation so that that's that's what i'm focused on right now um and you know five years five more years of solid work is when i pay off dividends down the road absolutely
0: no oh, that's awesome and And I want to congratulate you on that last deal you did. Um, I know you didn't touch on it in too much detail here, but I know you you briefly told me about it before the call, before we started recording here, I believe 258 units in in Orlando. And it's just a great, great asset. And and it's going to kind of springboard you and help you kind of continue building your track record and and move forward. And that's an amazing deal to take down. So congratulations on that one again.
1: Yeah, I I was pretty pumped. Oh yeah, I bet.
0: So Before we wrap up this conversation, I want to take it to the final four questions where you give short to the point answers. So what is your favorite real estate or business book?
1: I can't say mine. So (laughs) I I would say uh, um, I I like The E-Myth by uh, Michael Gerber. Yeah, that's
0: a great one. And hey, go ahead, plug your book. I I actually don't even know the name of it. So go ahead.
1: It's called uh, Sell for More. Um, it's, uh, it's based, um, it's targeted towards residential sellers and how to sell your home for maximum value in any market. Okay. Perfect.
0: What is one thing you wish you knew when you got started in real estate investing?
1: I would say that there's a world called commercial real estate.
0: There you go. So what's a daily habit that helps you be successful in real estate?
1: Uh, workout exercise.
0: Yeah. Keeps your mind right. Uh, and when do you yes. do that? Is it morning, late morning and evening? Okay. Perfect.
1: Yeah. Morning. Yeah. Morning routines. Get, get, start it, it, off get right. it done. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. So, you know, it sounds like you're quite busy with what you got going on. You're doing, I think a daily real estate show. And and I was surprised and kind of seeing your show and you haven't had it going for that long, but you already have like what, hundred, 200 episodes. It's crazy. And so much content out there. So you're definitely busy with things, but you know, in your free time, what are you doing for fun?
1: Oh, I'm a huge history nerd. I'm uh, writing a nonfiction book uh, about the war of 1812. So a huge history nerd. Uh, Play the bagpipes too. So I'm a big music guy. So and then I hang out with my son. I've got a three year old. So uh, we keep pretty busy.
0: Awesome. So uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, uh, you can find me at sethferguson.org. Don't go to .com because that's an evangelical uh, preacher. Um, Or you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Seth Ferguson. And my podcast is called Purchase Two Profits.
0: Yeah, and I urge urge you listeners to go check out his show. It's a great show. I've listened to numerous episodes and it's fantastic. Um, And also, I don't think you've already mentioned it yet, but uh, you've got a TV show. Is that right?
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. I've got the cable show. So that's a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, it, it's a general real estate show, so we don't focus strictly on investing, yeah. but uh, we do cover it. So yeah. it, what's the name of it? Fun. I
0: I don't know. And I want to hopefully check it out sometime.
1: Yeah. It's called real estate simplified. If you're out in BC, you won't be able to get it, um, it, but it's available, you know, in Ontario so if somebody's in Ontario and they're a coach co-subscriber yeah uh, you you can get it real estate simplified awesome
0: awesome so it was great having you on the show today Seth really appreciate you sharing your knowledge and and everything that you've kind of learned about investing into the U.S. as a Canadian well I wouldn't say everything I mean I'm sure there's so much more we could go on and on and on for days about this stuff but really gave a good high level overview for my listeners so thanks again and uh, talk to you again soon. All right, thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Take care. If you want to get in touch with me directly to learn more about real estate or to see all of the available podcast episodes and show notes, visit my website, marcuscron.com. Thanks for listening to the episode. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. If you enjoy the podcast or if it provides value in any way, make sure to leave a five star review. This helps the show attract top quality guests who will be able to provide even more insight into how you can build wealth through real estate. Talk to you next time.